Hello, welcome back to another episode of Crowd Workcast. My name is Andrew Barnett. Thank you very much for joining me. This uh, week's guest, Matty B. Uh, Matty's a mate of mine uh, who I've known through, uh, I met through comedy and I've known him for a few years now. Um, and we've worked together many, many times. A very funny man. Uh, most famously, famously, not really famous, um, I should say significant, most significantly uh, Maddie and I have worked together as part of Three Blokes Telling Jokes uh, with our other mate, Scott Detrick, uh, who you'll remember was a guest early on in the podcast. Uh, if you're just joining the podcast now, go back and listen to that episode. It's a cool one too. But uh, this week, yeah, Maddie B, uh, good mate of mine. Uh, we basically had a bit of a chat about um, about yeah growing up around Newcastle and uh, his uh, his mission to go off and see the world uh, and uh, the different places he's lived and the different things he's done. Very interesting dude and uh, this was a good fun chat so hopefully you guys will enjoy it. Please enjoy this episode 12 with Matty B. new episode. G'day buddy, what's your name? Matty. Matty. Got a last initial Matty. <laughs> Matty B. Yeah, it is Matty B. Welcome to uh, welcome to uh, Studio Barnett. It's lovely to be here. It's a very impressive studio, mate. Yeah, it, it, it has its moments. Thanks for coming out. It's the first uh, podcast studio that I've been in that has the complete works of Jane Austen on the bookshelf, which I'm super impressed by. Yeah, you know. Uh, I'm like an onion, my friend. <laughs> many layers. Many, you, many layers of pride and prejudice. You didn't pick uh, pick to notice that uh, it also has Winston Churchill's uh, six-volume set on the Second World War. I did also notice that, but I thought Jane Austen was a little bit more surprising. More in my wheelhouse? Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> yes. oh, Mr. Darcy, that you is, know me. you are definitely a fan oh, of that novel. I love a Victorian romance. <laughs> Holy dooly. <laughs> well, this started a bit different. Usually, usually, this is a crowd work cast. Usually I'm grilling you. You started off straight out of the gate. Started hard. Um, so what, what, what is it you do, Matty? Mate, I am a uh, comedian. Okay. I suppose is the easiest way to put it. I'm amongst the various different bits of shit kicking that you do to survive when you're a comedian. Yeah. So you're a, a stand-up comedian. And that is how we met through, uh, through stand-up comedy. Yes. So, um, talk me through, when did you start comedy? I started comedy, it must be about maybe seven years ago now. I might've been doing it for seven years. I started when I was living in WA. I did about a year on the scene over in Perth. Um, like, you know, when I first started. So I sucked pretty badly when I was over there. And then I was back in Newcastle for a couple of years and I've been in Sydney ever since. Nice, nice. So, um... For uh, for the audience out there who might not be familiar with your style, how would you describe your? This is a shitty comedian question, isn't, isn't it? I just realised. I'm just looking at you. Going, oh, fuck it. you, Barnett. I'm loving that because I'm about to go into this. Um, uh, do a thing for this uh, camp quality thing. They've got me going out and doing a bit of a promotion thing for them, and I'm just preparing myself for those sort of questions. And yeah. it's the first time I've ever thought about all that. So, how would you describe your comedy style? I was like, oh, I don't want to. Funny. It's yeah. funny. That's really what's important. I, I stay stuff and uh, people laugh. It's like pretty much the basic principle. Yeah. So what what was it, the compulsion for you to get into comedy? What what was what was it that you, you just, what was the, 
the inciting incident that made you think, yeah, you know what, I'm going to get a microphone in my hand and stand up and... Well, when I was uh, when I was living in WA, I was making a living as a street performer slash circus performer. Like I was, I was a good juggler, and I worked with classic story. <laughs> I was working with some boys. Like we used to just do like um, like we did shows at like street fairs and markets and stuff like that, festivals, and then we also worked at the circus school over there, like teaching kids and stuff. And uh, I busted my Achilles heel and lost the ability to do very much at all for a while. And uh, a few of the boys that I worked with um, suggested that if I wanted to do something performance-wise, that stand-up was the least physically intensive uh, way of performing. <laughs> it is It is interesting that there's a lot of comedians, you know... it drawn to it um, out of laziness but yours is physical laziness yeah, as well yeah. as all I have to do all I had to be able to do was uh, try not to limp too badly as I got to the microphone and then stand dead still for five minutes and then limp off again okay so. now don't think we're just going to brush over the circus performer <laughs> slash street performance <laughs> thing. Uh, we're going to get into that but first off how does a circus slash street performer do their Achilles uh, I did it because I was trying to do a standing backflip. I was learning how to do a backflip on... We were down at the beach. And it, to get to the point where you can do a standing backflip, you practice by someone like actually throwing you over. Like they cut their hand and they toss you over and you get used to spinning. And mm-hmm. so we were practicing that. And my Achilles is already dodgy because I'd done it once when I was a teenager and I did it again on a landing trying to do a backflip. On the beach? On the beach, yeah. Yeah, that's. there's not a lot of... uh, I'd imagine once your Achilles is done, the beach is probably the worst place to be because there's no even surface. That's all all Achilles control there. Yeah, it was was not a fun day, let's just say. It was not a good day. Wow. So you could say that you're, uh, when it comes to circus performing, your Achilles heel <laughs> is your my Achilles, Achilles heel. heel. Yeah. That's amazing. That's the first time I've heard of that uh, really literally applied. That's amazing. So, okay. Let's, I, I'm, I was trying to think of a delicate way to get into this. Yeah. How does one get into being a street slash circus performer? Let's go back. Where'd you grow up? And uh, let's trace this journey. Let's see. Right. <laughs> let's find the exact moment where it all went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I grew up, my mum and dad are from Sydney yep. and we moved to Cessnock when I was in like really early primary school. I think I started maybe year one at um, Ellalong Primary. Yeah. And then we moved to Newcastle when I was in high school and the high school that I went to um, we got to do circus as one of the sports electives one year, which was right. choice. Sports electives, one of those in inverted commas sports. <laughs> yeah, well, I was always pretty good at picking the non-sport sports. Like we did, a, uh, I did one semester of lawn bowls for sport, which was excellent. Yeah, that was offered at, uh, at uh, I'm trying to think if that was offered at this, the, the high school I went to in Newcastle, but definitely uh, went out in the country. Yeah, lawn bowls was great lawn for bowls. sport. Because it was basically just either don't go, just skive, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or take your shoes off, walk around on the grass, 
and yeah. really, really wish you were old enough to have a beer. It's that pre- was pretty relaxing sort it was of a way a, to approach sport. It was really good. Um, but yeah, I did circus. And then once I did it for the school sport, then I started going to... There's a circus school in Newcastle. Okay. So I started doing that um, in summertime when... Because I played hockey in wintertime, so I didn't... Yep. That was like pretty much all that the winter's taken sport. up. Yeah, that was a real sport. Yep. And so I did... I went to circus school a few times over summer times. And um, I wasn't very good at any of it other than juggling. Hence why I busted my Achilles heel trying to learn how to do a standing <laughs> backflip. I was really not very good at the like acro sort of stuff. Yep. Not very good at that at all, but... Picked up juggling pretty quickly, and um, what? How many like how many items was uh, was your maximum with juggling? I think I got up to being able to get seven in the air, but I couldn't keep it up for very long. I could do five or uh, anyone up. can throw seven things in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I did. The art is keeping it. That's right. I had I had five five balls or five rings going. Oh, wow. I could do tricks and stuff with five, do different patterns and stuff with five. Um, and I could, yeah, I could get seven up, but I couldn't really say that I could do seven. Like I never really quite nailed it up. Yeah. The, the consistency wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. So did you do the, did you get into the, the, um, different weighted items? Yeah. Well, well, by the time I was doing solo shows, like by the time I was doing street shows, the finale of the street show was... Well, 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 don't, don't take me to the finale. I would, okay, street show. What's the Matty B street show look like? You, I, I'm picturing myself... I'm going to close my eyes. I'm picturing myself in circular key. Right, yeah. I'm picturing you with a slight Cockney accent for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, you've got your little... You've got your rope. Absolutely, I've got my rope out. put out there. Yep. What else? What else? Paint the picture for us. So the way that you structure a street show is you do your second best trick first to get a crowd. Yep. And then you just fuck around for as long as possible and then you do your finale. So second best trick that I did was I did five fire clubs. Wow. Um, and that was like my, hey, dudes, there's a show going on trick. And that was the plan to get the crowd. Then I just do like bits and pieces, like get, get a kid out of the crowd, make him, give him five bucks, all the usual street yep. theatre performer tricks. And then uh, the finale was I had a sawhorse with a copper's log on top of it and then a two by four on top of that to make a balance board. And then I'd juggle um, a fire club, a hatchet and an apple and eat the apple while, while, while I was juggling. Of course. Very, you know, fairly textbook. Eat the axe. Yeah, yeah. Fairly textbook uh, street show. Um, I love that you say that as though any street performer's ever read a textbook. That's amazing. <laughs> There's actually I read quite a, I read a couple of books about how to put together um, street shows, and the more that I read, the more I realised they're actually quite formulaic. It's just what tricks you choose to put in them. Like after that, it's all the same stuff. Well, realistically, like when you when you just laid out your structure, then. That that is a structure one that I recognised having seen a lot of them, but two, it's also something that it makes sense, yeah. Because 
Because there is no formal start to the show. Like it's, it really is. You're just begging for people's attention for the first bit. So you can do Pretty a trick well. and ask for their money. That's right. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, they always say it like, um, do your second best trick first. Because that's, you don't want to, yeah. obviously you don't want to give away the best thing straight away. So do your second best trick first, get a crowd, then loads of banter, just chatting, just being silly. And cheeky with whatever crowd will let you be cheeky and stupid with them. And then they tell you to draw out, like... Who's they, by the way? The really, like, the big-time guys. Like, I worked with a few guys who travelled the world just doing street performances. Mm. And they always would say, like, when they watched my show, they'd be like, oh, your show's good, but you don't draw out the anticipation for your finale. And it's the thing that I find most frustrating when I watch street shows. Yeah, so do I. It's like maybe 10 or 15 minutes of, hey, I'm about to do this. Hey, I'm about to do this. And like, it does work. It builds up the crowd. But I never enjoyed doing that. I liked to just go, all right, this is the amount of people I've got in front of me. Here's the trick. Give me your money. Go away. I'll go again. Yeah. It'd have to be a fine balance too because as an audience member to a few of those, there have been times when I'm just like, oh, I can't be bothered. I'm walking away. Like yep. we've, but because we've got the kids, with they they generally want to watch. Yeah. And so if if you do end up staying, I'm much less likely to actually have hand over money. Not because I don't want to hand over money, but because okay, the trick's done. Now we have to get going because we're running late for whatever we were. Yeah. We believe it or not. I've never walked down to, oh, let's go see a street performance. That's like exactly it's right. It's And it's also why they tend to be in places where people just hang out, you yeah. know, because you can't do it in areas where people are just going from A to B. You've got to be doing it in places where people are just going to be standing around and they've got time on their hands anyway. Like I never really enjoyed... You'd struggle in the part of the airport where those uh, moving walkways are. <laughs> I'd love yeah. to see it. <laughs> that would be a real tough one. Yeah, and I mean, I never enjoyed working Circular Key. I always found it too too busy, too too hard to get a crowd. Because I mean, the shows that do well at Circular Key are monstrous big shows. Like yeah, just huge shows. Whereas, um, I really enjoyed doing like markets or uh, little street fairs and festivals, stuff like that, where you really didn't have to um, like to stop Circular Key. You need a big trick yeah. you know it has to be just a massive trick you and i was be, never that that good at it you need to be that guy that's on the unicycle that's so high that it can be seen from that's everywhere. right yeah yeah the guy swallowing a sword on the 15 foot unicycle mm. fair enough do that in circular key but i was only ever at the most a meter and a half off the ground so, oh. I mean, it's if I came off it, it was going to end yeah. badly, but it's not like the guys who are a long way up who are literally risking their life. Mm. Oh, it's enough to in, in, uh, instill a sense of danger in your audience, but there's oh, yeah. not. Um, now, one of the things I'd sort of always thought was the, the rule of street performing is have your kit, as it were, as uh, compact and light as possible. You've got a copper's log in you. Did you have the heaviest? <laughs> Did you just go, I'm going to find well, the most inconvenient shit to move around? Not really, because I, I had a trolley. So I had a, a very, like I had a bag. He says with pride. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was from Carl's, mate. It <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. Um, 
So, you know, the way that I packed everything up, I had a very specific system. So I had a lot of junk just packed up properly. But, I mean, my kit was still tiny compared to what a lot of guys use. Because, mm. like, one of those massive unicycles, that that is huge. The guys who juggle chainsaws, they're not small. Yeah. You know, they've got proper... What do they call them where they're, like, travel cases? Those pelican cases? Yeah, though, like they had... I worked with a dude who had three of those for his show. Oh, bloody hell. It was that's, just ridiculous. Yeah, that's too much. Well, I mean, he did big-ass shows, so... so... So did you just perform mainly around Australia or overseas? I started doing street shows in Bristol when I lived in the UK. Um, and then once I got back to Australia, then I did a fair bit of Australia. I did... Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, WA. But I w- I always drove to do like street fairs and markets and stuff out of town where other guys just wouldn't go to because it was... Um, when I was doing it, there was like four or five international guys who were working in Australia who just had all the sweet gigs yeah. tied up. So you had to kind of go out of your way a bit. It does... Um it does, yeah, hearing that accent does add an air of to, because oh, uh, that sense that this, this person's travelled all the way from the other side of the world to what? Yeah. To do this. And then, and they always um, make a point when they're, um, when they're getting into the section where they're going to talk about the, uh, I'm going to hit you up for money now. They always make the point of, I, uh, this is how I make my living. I travel the world like this. and That's right. And you're just like, oh, man. Yep. And like, I've got 17 children and four dogs and yeah. all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that, oh, that's it. So, Bristol. Yeah. Okay. We've, we've skipped around the, the timeline a bit. So, high school in Newcastle. Yep. Getting out of sport by doing the circus performing. Yep. What what other now just this is interesting. What other sports do you recall? What do you mind mentioning the high school? Or you I went to Merriweather High in Merriweather High, Smart Boy High. Yep, I went yep. to the Smart Kids School. And uh, so lawn bowls. Um, what other sports did they offer? Because like, I like thinking about this now. Because I I realised there were some at the different schools I went to that probably aren't that common. Well, I think mostly. I mean, at least half of my year. Or like half the school did surfing because it was the obvious choice yeah. in summertime. Even if you didn't Especially surf, merry weather, it's not a yeah, not like a hard one. Yeah, it was, and it was because we did sport in the afternoon as well. Yeah. You could go do surfing for sport and then just stay in the water because you're yeah. the time time. You can do whatever you want. So most of the guys who are into surfing or bodyboarding or even just swimming did surfing, and then it was just the usual stuff. I think circus was really the only one that was. Particularly unusual. See, I did um, when we were in Newcastle, there was surfing. There was a few of those sort of things. I did a lot of indoor cricket. Yep. Because uh, it was an easy one. And um, but I'm just trying to think the ones I actually did. But then, when when I was in Coral, which is where I grew up, um, before that until year ten, I was there. We had um, I I distinctly remember this, and it never struck me as odd until years later. Um, you used to be able to do clay target shooting. Oh <laughs> <Hell> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but you had to bring your own gun. <laughs> so, 
There was the teacher that organised that he'd meet the school bus. He knew the kids that were coming because they're generally farm kids or whatever. Yeah, uh, coming in and he'd take their <laughs> take their shotguns from the That's bus. That's awesome. Look after them for the day. It'd be so great if you were from overseas, just seeing a kid with like a broken shotgun over his shoulder, waiting for the school bus in the yeah. morning. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. We did that because, and that I remember was just oh, out oh, indoor cricket was one of my perennial favourites throughout my schooling. And uh, that was right across the road from the indoor cricket centre where they do the clay targets. Right. So you'd sort of, as you're waiting for the thing, you'd see them start and you'd yell out if they missed. Or it was, it was yeah, weird. And then uh, the other one we did was rowing, like actual, um, you know, like that's uh, that's really amazing for a small country because like, rowing is like quite an elitist private school kind of pursuit. Yeah. Well, that and that's the thing. But we were right on the river. There was a rowing club you could do. Like it was just. It was just one of those things that... Yeah, I mean, I've got to be honest, most of the people who I know who did rowing at school are complete wankers. Like, they went to wanky, wanky schools. No, well, this was a very unwanky school. Yeah, I know, I know the school that you if you wanted. (laughs) (laughs) And I did did it. I did a few times. It was... The thing with it, though, is um, it was always interesting. You had to work out... Um, which way, which direction you'd row. Like I, I was of the mind that we'd always row upstream first because coming back, you just feel like a champion. Yeah, right. Um, but then there was always that feeling, okay, we're going to go hard till under the bridge. And then you just sort of watch the rowing shed drift by. Okay, <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, shit, now we're going to turn around and try and get into the sh- into the bank with that. I think we'd had, um, I think a few guys did uh, sailing for sport. Sailing. I think they did that at... Um, at Warner's Bay too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like those tiny little like maybe twelve foot little yeah, the skiffs. Little, what are they called? The um oh they got a little name that makes them sound uh, way better than what they actually yeah. are. Yeah, like sun somethings or I don't know, uh, but they were tiny little boats without that only had two guys on them. But yeah. a couple of guys who I went through school with like ended up doing competitive sailing. So I mean that's a nice sport. That's, yeah, that sounds way better than like soccer. Yeah, I know that was the that was the thing. Like I um, when you think about the amount of kids that just did football. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like oh, you could do anything. Exactly. So I used to love trying all the different ones. Yeah, I always I never did anything for too long. No. I always did different choices, but also too I did like um, I did sports science as an elective. So oh, okay. I had I had heaps of sport in my um in my timetable anyway. I think a lot of the things that I'm thinking of that I did for school sport were probably actually part of sports science, not ones that you got to choose. To, like we got to go scuba diving for sports science. Oh, get out It was of so it. awesome. It was so good. good. Yeah. We like went away and spent like three days up at um, Nelson Bay and did the whole, I think we all got the baseline accreditation for scuba diving, whatever the lowest level one that is. That reeks of a teacher who loves scuba diving. Oh, yeah. Our, trying to uh, work out how to get it in the curriculum. Our so. PE teacher, she was she was really cool. She was into, um, she took us out um, spearfishing once as part of sports I kinda, science. I kind of feel like that sort of stuff wouldn't fly at schools anymore. I don't know. But my instinct would be that it would just be considered too unsafe. Same with same with clay targets. Well, exactly. Like I just putting can't. a weapon in a bunch of 15, 16 year old idiot boys' hands, sooner or later something's gonna go wrong. Yeah. It's, it's I'd I'd like to think those things still go on, but probably not. 
Probably not in this day and age. Yeah, that was... um, Because, like I said, that never struck me as odd. It also never struck me as odd that uh, until I moved to Newcastle and I was talking to... Um, talking to mates there uh, in Corowa, we had um, like we had a proper ag plot, so yep. you had sheep and stuff, and the sheep would just wander the grounds of the school, and they sort of meant that we you'd like the school didn't have to be mowed as much, <laughs> um, and so yeah, you just wander out, and they'd like you'd wander out, and you'd just go to have lunch, and there'd be sheep, and they'd piss off. They knew like you know they yep. weren't hanging they weren't dumb or whatever, but yep. well, they are dumb. There's nothing <laughs> dumber than sheep, mate. They are dumb. Animals, but they weren't, you know, they're, they're skittish too, so yeah. Well, and that we, was that we was just one had of the... that in all of Ellalong. There was just sheep just wandered the town because yeah. why not? Yeah, exactly. You know, like what's the worst that's going to happen? So, like, where I grew up, there was our block of land, which was probably maybe a couple of acres, and then all the properties around us were at least a couple of acres, and there was no fences on anyone's land. So there was just sheep just yeah. everywhere. Like I think it was the bloke a couple of doors up from us actually owned the sheep, but no one gave a shit. It was just, nah. yeah, there's sheep, go. It was on Norfolk Island. Um, they uh, Basically, cattle have the run of the island. Yeah, right. So you, everyone's front yard has a cattle grid. Yeah, right. <laughs> so then it just wander in. And it did, I don't know if it's still the same, but it used to be you... Um, Used to have to give way to the cows on the road. Is that right? Yeah. Cows have right of way. Cows had right of way. Well, that's the way it should be, surely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, you'd still honk the horn at them, get them to get them to move on. It's definitely yeah. going to make it easier on your insurance claim, like knowing, not having to like take a cow to court because yeah. you've <laughs> done a headlight on it. Yeah. Look, it definitely wasn't my fault. <laughs> just, just see the magistrate. like, look, I've got conflicting statements. Yeah, exactly. You say one thing, she says me. She just stares. So, <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> oh, it's a weird sort of. Isn't it amazing those things when you're young that seem perfectly normal because it's all you've ever known. Yeah, and you don't realise till heaps later that they're weird. It's like that, you know, the first time you go stay at a friend's, have a sleepover at a friend's place and you realise not everyone calls pyjamas the same thing. Yeah, totally. Or I remember being blown away that um, one of my friends, his mum didn't put um, margarine on the sandwiches. I was just like, my little brain just was just like, what (laughs) the hell, What? how is this a sandwich? Like, this is not right. But it's true, those little things when you're a kid, you're just like, oh my goodness, how, how do you survive? So, and then you, I don't know about you, but your instinct too sometimes if like, you know, with, um, I remember having a sleepover and uh, like, I forget it was, it was pyjamas or something like that. Like, and I had matching pyjamas and whoever I was sleeping, no, just slept in like boxer shorts and a singlet. Yeah. And I felt like, so, oh my God, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> pyjamas, oh my God, like, oh, we're so, and then just thinking our like our family was so lame for having pajamas. Oh, you were, man. You were massively lame. Whereas realistically, like it's it's actually a, a caring thing for a parent to do: buy you pajamas rather than just go, oh, just wear some underwear and a singlet. It must be so ridiculous being a parent because I'm not a parent, but just thinking of all the times where I just thought completely unrealistic or unappreciative things of my parents when I was a kid, like. Just being like, oh, fucking mum, caring about me and yeah. doing nice things for me. Mm. Uh. 
Look at this sandwich you made me for lunch. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. I remember, man, my mum used to cook us like, because um, especially when we were, we were in primary school, um, she was home uh, a lot because I had a much younger brother. And so she was home and um, worked part-time eventually. But then she used to do like um, look after other people's like family daycare or whatever. And, um, but she, um, so she used to make like make cake and make all those things for us for our morning teas and you know so our recess was always homemade stuff and i just remember being so jealous of the kids whose like parents just sent a pack of chips or a roll up or yeah something. man i and used be to get massive roll up envy at school because my mum was really big on health like she we never got like processed or sugary foods at all sent like it was like an apple and a banana yeah, for morning tea, maybe like a few nuts or something. And I'd say these kids were like roll-ups. Or do you remember the snack? Oh, do I remember the snack? <laughs> oh, my God. I used to get such chronic the snack. I hated my mum so bad every morning tea. Just <laughs> like, fuck you, mum. Why can't I have a the snack? It was ridiculous. Yeah, they um, it's I was the I was the same man. I was like, mum, mum went through a muffin stage where she loved just making all different kinds of muffins. Yeah, and so these muffins now that if I had them now, I'd be like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, muffins again. <laughs> <laughs> poppy seeds, it was poppy seeds. Yes, I had chocolate today. Blueberry, <laughs> come on, mum. It's like. Why can't I just have something normal like a packet of chips? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you don't realize you went to so much more effort, and then you'd be swapping it. Like <laughs> exactly, the kids whose parents just sent packets of chips or whatever, they'd be like, "Oh my god, muffins! That's amazing." Yeah, your mum cooks. This so, is a, yeah, yeah, I know she's so lame. <laughs> <laughs> my mum's such a loser, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, it's terrible. But um, yeah, I know. I think about that now. Like, it's like the stuff we send with our kids, we're just like. It's it, but it's amazing how much, like you realize you build in habits too, because like kids are creatures of habit. Like yep. kids, kids will um will watch the same movie over and over again. They'll they they love that sort of stuff, and it's sort of the same with their lunches. Like you know, as, as an adult, you'd just go, if I ate the same sandwich every day, I'd go nuts. Yeah, but my kids are like, no, Dad, I have Vegemite on my sandwich. My youngest son has plain bread. Just has a bread sandwich. Has a bread sandwich. What a trooper! And then what a trooper! My parents took him away, like took all the all um all of them away, like my brother's kids and um, my kids away to Dubbo Zoo mm-hmm. in the holidays, and um and the uh that they, they they came back and so like they'd get you know different things for for the you know for lunches and stuff, and that was all like my youngest one wanted was bread for plain bread. I just had plain bread. Uh, for for my sandwich, and then um, you know, like if they get a soft drink or he doesn't like fizzy drinks, so he was just drinking water. Like I'll just have water. So, so like, he was literally on prison food. That's what my old man goes. He goes oh, he'll do all right in prison if he ever is <laughs> bread and water. Yeah, I'm fine. It's uh, oh, it's such a strange <laughs> sort of a, especially like I I, I I couldn't imagine being like that as a kid, but yeah. He's just like, yeah, no, just plain bread, thing. My best mate, who used to come on like family holidays and stuff when we were kids, he, I remember he, he, my mum being like really upset because he would just eat spaghetti. He wouldn't eat the bolognese sauce. He'd just have wow. plain spaghetti. And he was more than happy with it. But mum would just like lose her mind because she's like, I can't just let you eat plain spaghetti. And that's all he wanted. And wow. 
it was like, it was quite a big deal. It really stressed her out. <laughs> I can see how it would because you kind of want to give kids something hearty and something exactly. like that. You know. And when you've got someone else's kid, you don't want them going back to their mum and saying, all we ate was plain spaghetti, you know, yeah. like. Well, that's what my, that's what I think my parents were like, oh, like with, with my boy, they're just like, what, like. Because there is that thing. No, you can have whatever you want. No, I want plain bread. Yeah, I'll just have plain bread. You don't bre- want something better? Because like <laughs> almost anything else is better than plain bread. No, just plain bread, thanks. Good. And he'll happily have that for breakfast and then again for lunch. <laughs> like he's, he's, uh, some day, I've had started That's... to have to make him have cereal for breakfast or yeah, something right. different. Just because I'm like, look, it's not terrible for you, but I can't imagine that. It's also... Is it just white bread or does he have like multigrain or wholemeal bread? Well, he has wholemeal, but generally it's the sort of... Nowadays, it's the sort of softer wholemeal stuff. Like yeah. He used to eat... Um, he used to love seed bread. He used yeah, to ask right. me, Dad, can we get seed bread? Yeah, right. Um, but he's sort of... he's <laughs> Even that was a bit extravagant <laughs> yeah, right. at a point. Well, look, he's a, he's a young man of simple tastes. Yeah. He'll do well in life, you know, if he's, if he's not fussy. That's going to make things easy for him when he gets older. Yeah, and it's, look, it's in, in some ways, like, it's like, oh, man, you know, if he's only going to eat one thing, it's a pretty simple thing to get. <laughs> yeah, no, that is true, yeah. He's also obsessed. His favourite dinner is spaghetti bolognese. He's, he loves spaghetti bolognese. He will eat that till the cows come out. Like, when, when we make spaghetti bolognese, we've started giving him, like, a bowl of spaghetti bolognese, um... We give him a real small bowl to start with because we know he's going to ask for seconds. Yeah, right. He will just keep eating until you say, "Oh, that's enough," or yep. it's all gone because he just loves it so much. And um, but his second favorite food is he loves chili con carne. Who is this kid? Yeah, I know. I'm that's worried. awesome. It's, and he loves, and then he just like everything else. He'll put tomato sauce on. Loves putting tomato. And I, as I say to my wife, I'm worried he's going to be the first kindergarten kid in history to end up with gout. <laughs> like it's just like he loves that. Tomato stuff. Like, <laughs> gonna... If he's just eating bread and chili con carne, yeah, there's a realistic possibility he's of that. Ho- he's hobbling around like, oh, the toe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's, he's a strange kid, but he's, he's all right. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, there, there could be worse things. Like spaghetti bolognese too. Like we throw carrots and all sorts of... Exactly. You, know, you can fill that full of veggies. And, and um, yeah, he eats it. He'll eat that until the cows come home. Yeah, I just don't... Like, it's really weird because I have no interest in having children. But I do, like, a lot of my mates my age uh, do have kids and it's weird talking to them about, like, this kind of stuff that as someone who isn't a parent, like, the thought of actually having to work out what I would put in a kid's lunchbox just isn't it something that's ever crossed my mind before. Oh, dude. It's, uh, it, 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 it can be, stre- like, if you, the thing is too is if you run out of one of the things that regularly goes in there, that's when you realise, oh, I've got no imagination for what people eat. Like, exactly. <laughs> just like, oh, man, how do I, like, ah, oh, that's where the muffin usually goes. What do I put there? <laughs> yeah. I always knew when uh, my mum had fucked up on, uh, like, getting enough stuff for our lunchboxes when there was just carrot sticks. Just started showing up in the lunchbox. You'd just be like, I've got a sandwich and a rolled up bit of carrot sticks in some glad wrap this is my lunch today oh man the glad wrap, <laughs> wasn't that a thing too i don't we see we don't like do we don't do a heap of glad wrap stuff in our kids lunch boxes but i remember when i was a kid sometimes the glad wrap would be like so tight and so much of it like yeah. it's take 
like the first three minutes, four or five minutes of lunch, just trying to work out how to get into the. Yeah, mums have some sort of knack with Glad Wrap that they turn it into like spider's web strength. Glad Wrap, yeah. in the way that they wrap it up, it's just ridiculous how well they do it with very little of it. But there reckon, must be a skill. Do you reckon? Oh, maybe the formula's changed for Glad Wrap or something because I don't. I have never been able to actually do that with Glad Wrap, ever. No, neither. Like I don't know. I yeah. I don't know if that's. Because I got to say, I haven't had my mum glad wrap anything for me in a while. That is true. But um, I so wonder if you, uh, if your international list- listeners know what glad wrap is. Is that an oh. Australian thing? Does do people from other countries call it glad wrap as well, or is that like just an Australian I, thing? I, I, I'm inclined to think it's an Australian thing. Yeah, glad is the brand. But I mean, not to say that they don't have glad brand things. Everywhere else, but what um, do they call it in the states, though? I suppose cling wrap or cling cling film. Yeah, dial dial in, guys. Let us yeah. know. Oh, hang on, it's not a radio All right, show. Uh, I'm gonna dial up a caller. <laughs> yeah, Corey from California. <laughs> I think of the most California name I could think of. Corey's pretty California, man. Hey, man. Yeah, that dude drives a combi. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's just. Just driving around California, man. Skates on a longboard, I reckon. Like he's yeah. that kind of that kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. He's, it's not. A, he's not into tricks. He's just just a good way of getting around, man. Yeah, and he looks good doing transport. it too. He yeah. looks good oh, doing it. Obviously. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for calling in, Corey. We yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for that. Um, all right, <laughs> we got sidetracked massively. <laughs> We've just spent about fifteen minutes talking about school lunches. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I like my podcast to be relatable to yeah. everyone, Maddie. That is well. It's hey, everyone had school lunch, didn't they? Yeah. So you'd hope so. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, so after high school, yeah, what university study or just? Well, I didn't finish high school. Um, I stopped doing school after year ten. And oh really? Yeah, I hated year ten. I hated high school to be honest, other than sport. Um, or year nine and year ten, basically. Um, I I did not go to a lot of year ten. I <laughs> I really whopped most days of year ten. So I'm gonna be honest. There's a lot of lot of dots falling. Down, like, <laughs> yeah. Right so you know when someone says something that uh, should be surprising, but then yeah. actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I remember when my uh, my report card. Well, for starters, I had to mail my report card to mum and dad because I didn't go to school for the last three weeks of school. So <laughs> I just never showed up to collect my report card, and they had on it um, days of school. I think it was like it was maybe 120 or something. Yep, days attended. 15 unexplained attendances 105 oh, and, wow. and my mum just going why the fuck have they not called me because you haven't been going to school and I'm, oh, no, 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 no it's unexplained isn't yeah it? it's just an unexplained absence says that right there on the envelope <laughs> yeah. i know i uh, i know i've only just dropped out in year 10 but uh, yeah. even i can join the dog <laughs> so i um yeah, well, other people were doing year 11 and 12. Um, I just worked in a pizza shop for a couple of years. Um, just, yeah, just worked. And then probably for, I don't know, maybe three or four years. And then I got into Newcastle Uni 
because they have a system where you can basically just do the equivalent of an IQ test. And if you pass, they just let you into first year BA. So I got... Which is, which is about the equivalent of working in a pizza shop. Exactly. Yep. So, and then I ended up doing, I think, oh, I think I was enrolled in uni for two years. I passed some courses. I went. What, what sort s- of subjects were you doing? I would have ended up with a major in modern history if I nice. kept doing it. I really enjoyed history um, and I did a bit of like political science and sociology, like all, all the humanitarian sort of subjects. Yep. Um, but then I got a, when I was about 21, I got offered a internship at Greenpeace in Sydney. Yep. So I did that for six months. Um, and that's when I, I ended up meeting a girl from Scotland doing that job. And we, that's when I went to Bristol was when her visa for Australia ran out. Um, I'd always intended on, you know, how every Australian does the UK visa and lives in London for a couple of years. I was always going to do that anyway, so I just chose to do it then. Yep. And that's how I ended up in Bristol. So in Bristol, you went, uh, you've fallen for this Scottish girl in Sydney Mm -hmm. and her visa runs out and you went, let's go live somewhere that neither of us uh, are from. Well, she didn't want to go back to, um, she didn't want to go back to Scotland and I couldn't get a visa for any of mainland Europe. So I had to get the UK visa. Yep. And so, yeah, we just kind of looked on a map and went, <laughs> where do you think it's going to be? Bristol's as good yeah. a place as any. Where do you think it's going to be interesting? So we ended up going to Bristol. And what, what about Bristol made you think it would be interesting? They had a circus school. Uh, They had two universities and uh, it's a fairly well known that it has a really good reggae scene. So (laughs) that was (laughs) (laughs) it ticket that ticked all of our boxes at the time. (laughs) It was not cliched in any way, shape or form. I'm just picturing the world's (laughs) best Google search. (laughs) Constructing. Look, what do we need? Well, I like to go to university. Yeah, shush, love. Um, <laughs> circus school. <laughs> I'm going to need reggae. Yep. And, uh, oh, yeah, what you want university. All right, yep. universities. That's fantastic. So what did you do in Bristol? Um, we lived on a canal boat for, <laughs> for about a year. Um, you live life the way a guy trying to dodge mail lives life. <laughs> Which actually, you you actually received mail here. <laughs> Just a quick aside, um, you and I uh, were um, were joint MCs at uh, our mate Scott Detrick's wedding. Yeah, right. His mother sent us this beautiful card. Oh, did um, she? Yeah, to, oh. to the two of us. Thanks, Mrs. Detrick. Uh, it was addressed to uh, to Andrew Barnett and Maddie B <laughs> at, at my address. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not sure what she thinks our arrangement is. <laughs> But it was a lovely card. I'll, um, I'll, I'll have to show you inside after this. Oh my god, that's so amazing! Well, the brilliant thing about that was that I had never even got the uh, invitation to the wedding because I didn't tell Scott my address. <laughs> so two weeks out, I was like, "Hey, dude, you do know I'm coming to the wedding, yeah?" He was like, "Yeah, we we just assume." <laughs> that's fantastic. Sorry, so you're living on a canal boat in Bristol? Yeah, yeah, living on. Uh, 
so there's like quite a big community of people who live on the canals there. Um, They're called felons on the run. A lot of some very transient lifestyles going yeah. on. Um, and uh, the boat that we were living on was the guy who owned it was a bloke. He was probably maybe in his mid-20s or so. And he'd bought it to do it up. And okay. basically I had an agreement with him where I just spent about 20 hours a week helping him out working on the boat in exchange for me and Lou getting the uh, rent there for no. free or maybe cheap, whatever whatever the arrangement was. So basically I sanded this dude's boat for him, um, which was a bastard of a job. It was a big ass job, but it was really interesting and it was good because we were like on the, we were all, we all worked during the week and then on the weekends we'd take the boat out and like, because pretty much all of England is joined by the canal system. So we could get as far as you could go in a day. That was like our radius because we had to be back by Monday work morning. for Monday. Yeah. So we uh, we went and explored all the different canal system all through that sort of southwest part of England, which oh, was nice. really, really cool. Went to some great parties that are like on islands and stuff. So you had to have a boat. To be able to get yeah, to them. Boat people. They were dodgy as so much just seedy stuff going on in those parties. It was it was a really good time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's, someone if you're living on a boat, it, it really does scream, I don't want to be held accountable for a whole bunch of stuff I do. <coughs> Pretty well. And also too, because in Bristol, um, there was like the official moorings where you were legally allowed to live on your boat on yep. these moorings and you could hook up um, your electricity and plumbing and stuff. We lived on a mooring where officially you weren't supposed to <laughs> to be living on your boat there. So it was like we had to do some really interesting things like empty our porta potty and get oh rid of our God. rubbish and like it was it was fucking See, it's a romantic Gross. notion. It's a romantic <laughs> notion living on a boat like that, and those, especially in those canal things. Um, but for me, there's two things, and in the canals, it wouldn't be a big issue. The first thing, living on a boat for me, would be um, I, I'd be worried about seasickness because mm-hmm. I do get seasick. Um, but in the canals, probably not as big an issue. Not a, not at all. The second is is exactly the bathroom situation. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um it was always a, an interesting morning because one of us, either me or Nick, whose boat it was, would have to carry the like part of the porta potty that filled up into the train station and then empty it into one of the toilets <laughs> in the train station. So there'd just be one of us carrying this thing. It must have been 20 kilos of just shit and piss. <laughs> and, and, and then just like oh, hoping no one notices God. you in the toilet, just sloshing it out. <laughs> oh, is, it was seedy. It was so seedy. How many times did you vomit doing that? Twice. Because I was going to say, there's no way... At a certain point, you have to look at what you're pouring out to make sure it's going yeah. where it needs to be poured. Yeah. I vomited doing it the first time and I vomited it when I had to do it hungover. I can almost vomit now. <laughs> that is... Oh. It was rank. It was proper rank. It was, yeah. But we enjoyed it, so... We enjoyed it. We enjoyed living on a boat. Yeah. I can't say we <laughs> enjoyed that side of it. But it was a means to an end. Yeah. Yeah. Holy dilly. That is... Yeah, that's horrifying. <laughs> Wow, so how long did you live on the boat for? About a year. I think we 
we must have been on the boat maybe eight months or a year or something. Like we basically worked in Bristol, like we worked full time, saved up a heap of money, then went and blew it in Europe and then went back and got jobs at a hotel in the north of Scotland for maybe another six months and then saved all our money doing that and then went, blew, went and blew it in Europe again. So typical. Yeah. Like there's only so much of in England that you really want to spend your money on when you could be in Barcelona or Berlin or Greece. like Anywhere warmer. Yeah, basically. And just like, it's just so different over there. Like the idea in Australia of, hey, we're going to go to Rotterdam for a long weekend. Like that doesn't happen here. You get to go to the Hunter Valley. You don't yeah. get to go to a different language, a different culture, a different history. Whereas from the UK, you can you can have a long weekend in any number of different cultures and languages, and you can yeah. get to Africa for a long weekend if you really wanted to. So it's it's a lot of fun. You can drive for a day and not have left the state. Exactly. That's where <laughs> when we drove from. Bristol to go to do these job interviews at this place. I looked at it on a map and we had a little, um, we had a little van. And so I sort of marked out our voyage to give us five days so we could camp in a few national parks and stuff and see a bit of the countryside. And so we had it all mapped out and we got there that afternoon. <laughs> it was just, you just get on the motorway and you go, oh, we're in. Eight hours later and we're in the middle of Scotland now. It just didn't really happen. So it's, yeah, the distances is just so tiny compared to Australia. Yeah, that is nuts. So how how long were you in the UK for before you came back? I think it must have been about 20 20 months, just shy of two years. I ran out of money the second Europe jaunt and um, then me and Lou started having to think about how we were going to make it happen. So we tried to get the uh, de facto visa for her back in Australia. Yep. But that didn't end up happening and the whole distance thing kind of made it all just too hard in the end. So that all stopped. Have you, do you keep in contact at all or is that just a... Yeah, yeah. We're, I mean, Is it that Gautier song? <laughs> yeah, just you used to know. No, no. I mean, it was not a... It was very much a, the reason that we broke up was just pragmatic reasons. So um, we stay in contact in Facebook. She's got, she's living back in Scotland. She's got a couple of kids who are fucking really cute looking kids. So I think she's doing pretty well. Oh, good on her. Yeah. Well, I'm sure she'll listen to this. Yeah, no doubt. No yeah. doubt. Probably, probably just been a listener for a while. And yeah, well, um, she, might, for your episode. she might uh, email you in with some uh, with some fact checking. <laughs> yeah. just, no, that's yeah. not how that happened at all. He threw up six times. Out <laughs> <in the toilet. laughs> oh man, that is uh, <laughs> that's the highlight of the episode for mine, um, mate. We are at about the the time because um, actually we have got a little bit of time. Um, I'm going to ask a few more questions. And uh, so coming back, yep. So back to Newcastle or where were you then? I came, I went back to mum and dad's for like a couple of weeks, maybe a couple, I don't know. Went back to mum and dad's for a short term thing. Went back, went back to Sydney and maybe worked. Yeah, I must've gone back to Sydney and worked for a bit. And then I went to Northern Rivers to like 
Ballinar and Byron Bay for... Yeah, you're not the kind of guy fitting up there. No, nah, not at all. And I got family in Ballinar. So, spent a bit of time up there and then went to Fremantle from there. What were you doing in Fremantle? The reason that I went over is because uh, my girlfriend at the time, who I met in Byron, was a um, hotel restaurant manager. Oh, I was so hoping you were going to say a uh, stevedore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she unloaded ships. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, no, nah, she uh, she was running um, the restaurant in one of the resorts at Byron Bay and then got offered um, a job managing a really nice Italian place on the beach at Cottesloe. In, oh, lovely. At Perth. So um, we just went over because she wanted to do that job and I said, I'll come as long as we live in Fremantle. So that's yeah. what we ended up doing. Good living. Yeah, it was a good spot. I love Fremantle. It's awesome. It is nice. I spent a bit of... Um, I was over there early in the year at the, for the Perth Comedy Festival. Yeah. And um, Sean Conway... Uh, he works the dock there, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah. Um, he uh, he had a couple of days off and um, he came and picked us, a few of us up that were just over there and took us out. And we, um, uh, myself and uh, John Crookshank um, and, uh, and him and... Um, and a girl whose name I'm forgetting. She's a really nice comic from the UK, but um, who was out? We went out and drove around Fremantle, spent a bit of time watching uh, uh, Crookshank um, play his uh, skateboarding skills and yeah, skate sweet. parks. And yeah, it was good. It did was a you good go time. To the, um, did you go to Little Creatures? Yes. One of my favourite things I've ever seen was a couple of mates of mine from Newcastle came over to visit me um, in Freo. And the first afternoon they got in, I said, come on, boys, we'll go down and uh, have a beer at the Little Creatures Brewery, which is on the river in Fremantle. It's the, one of the most gorgeous views yeah. that you're ever going to get, watching the sun going down and everything. Couldn't get much more idyllic for an afternoon beer. And as we sit there having a beer, this like proper massive yacht just is motoring past us and there's this dude standing off the back of it, just having a slash into the river, yes. <laughs> just cruising past. And we just sort of raised a glass to him. I was like, well done, son. And yeah. he was like, yep, thank you, boys. It was so funny. Just welcome to Fremantle. Money yeah. doesn't kill the desire to piss off a boat. <laughs> exactly. I remember that. I forget which philosopher said that, but it's as true today oh, as it mate. was it's, in yeah. ancient Greece uh, yeah. when it's... it was first said. Um, <laughs> the name of that comic, Sarah Callahan. I've... Oh yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, it was a great day kicking around Freo. Had a, what had time a is time. that? That would have been about uh, May. May. Yeah. yeah. So, so the weather was, would have been nice as well. I would imagine. Yeah, it was sunny. It wasn't um wasn't super cold. Yeah. Um, it was cool at night, but it was like you know the days were quite <coughs> pleasant. Re that real, um, just sort of you know the way uh, a, a sort of late autumn Sydney is that you know sunny day. Yeah. Beautiful, like you know high teens low 20s sort yeah, of great just nice t-shirt weather yeah sit in the sunshine and uh, enjoy a beer yeah fantastic yeah. that's definitely something that Fremantle is a, it's just a great little town for like a really mellow Sunday afternoon drinking session like yeah get out on the water couple of beers in the afternoon throw yourself in the either, either the ocean or the river and hit reset yeah go again it's I really enjoyed that about good lifestyle. Yeah, learned how to stand up paddleboard there as well, which was good fun. If, 
you, uh, you just uh, keep coming out with the uh, the cool hobbies. Oh, I love stand-up paddleboarding, man. It's so good. I've it's never... like the laziest way to participate in a water activity. It's yeah, I've so never good. tried it and it looks... It, it's one of those ones to me that seems like it looks deceptively simple. It's like, not as easy to stand on it as yeah, you would think. Because you see these guys that will go at the beach, especially in surf beaches, and they're just out the back and they're over the waves and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I'm just like, I know you guys are making it look easy, but I guarantee I stand on that, put the paddle in, fall off. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, rinse yeah. and repeat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's surprising. Like It took me probably an afternoon to get wow, that long to get comfortable on it and all it was was the like because one of my neighbors was really into it so i used to go out with him and he was watching me try and fail and he was like when he told me make sure that you keep your stomach muscles tense yeah oh it's a, it's a core strength thing. yeah and then i was like ah oh, that makes a lot of sense because then when you actually do go to paddle you're just using your tummy muscles rather than your arms to try yeah. and make the to move propel yourself across the water and it because I was trying to use my arms and I was just falling in but once you keep your middle sort of a bit lower and strong then it's actually not that hard I remember I had a um I had a girlfriend in just university and her old man like she she um, her old man was big into the the um, paddling like the surf skis yeah and uh, and so she'd just grown up doing it and she's they lived right across the road from the lake and she'd say come on we'll go for a paddle and she'd always get um, his um, surf ski for me to to go on the flat lake down at Lake Macquarie and uh, turns out when it's a racing one they are super thin <coughs> um, not that I was any good anyway but similar thing like it's all just abstract yeah. And so I'd go to, like, I'd be sitting there perfectly level, go to put the paddle in the water. Gone. Just yeah. ran. It was like trying to balance on a pencil. It was impossible. Those, the the proper racing ones, they're only about two inches wider than your hips. Like, yeah. they're really skinny. So I've never been in, I've never sat in one, but. Oh, and then, because it, it seemed impossible to me that it could be done. And then to watch him just bat bow through the surf like just going yeah out there yeah like oh this is what's going on there's a button on this that they're flipping it over or something yeah yeah it was yeah it's it's that all that stuff's a mad skill so that's what i i kind of assumed the paddle boarding would be uh, a similar way the other thing that she taught me was um with with when you're paddling is you apparently you're not supposed to pull with your bottom arm so you know you put the paddle in the water Mm. and the instinct is to pull it out yeah um, she taught, she was saying that what you should be doing is pushing with the, the top hand, yeah, pushing yeah, that's away right. and just using your, the bottom as a fulcrum. So yeah, hot uh, paddling tips with Maddie yeah. and Andrew. Yeah, wow. Some people are, some people are learning, listening yeah. to this podcast. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like maybe we should have ended a little bit before the paddling tips, but um, look, so hey, everyone needs an aquatic, aquatic leisure activity, mate. So <laughs> why not? <laughs> As we as we round out though, let's get you back to uh, back to the east coast. Yes. So Frio, you're there for how long? Eighteen months. Eighteen months. That's where you start comedy, and then back to Newcastle. Back to Newcastle for a year or so, which is where you and I met in the Oriental Hotel. I believe that is true. Yes. And uh, and you've been in Sydney sort of more or less ever since. As much as a transient hobo is anywhere for any length of time, <laughs> yeah, there's been a few jaunts here and there, but yeah, mostly based in Sydney. 
Nice, nice. All right, we are at that time now. I do have to go pick my kids up from school. So before we go, Maddie, thanks very much for coming on. Do you want to um, give your social media or anything a plug before we get going? Yeah, it's people want to follow me on Facebook. It's Maddie B Comedian, and I'll also give a shout out because myself and uh, another local Sydney comedian, Seren Jayamani, are doing trial shows next month for our next year's festival. Oh, you don't know about Seren and my beef, do you? Oh, you've got a beef with Seren. No, <laughs> I can't imagine you two guys having a beef. You're both really nice dudes. Yeah, no, I don't think... <laughs> I can't imagine anyone having a beef with Seren. No, he's one of the nicest guys. <laughs> he's a lovely guy. In general, let alone in comedy. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, yeah, we're both... We're doing sort of 40 minutes each to start getting ourselves, our shows ready for Melbourne next year. So, Oh, nice. Where can we... Where can people find that and buy tickets and stuff? Uh, if they just want to look up my Facebook, um, it's probably the easiest way to do it. And we're doing it at Mrs. Falcon's in Glebe every Sunday in uh, November. Cool. I might try and get along to one of those. Yeah, come check it out, man. It'll be, good. be interesting. Heckle Seren from the back. Oh, hell yeah. Settle that beef. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll see if I can start one at least. Well, he'll he'll snap you. He'll snap <laughs> yeah, you. He's, 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 got, got the, he's got a quick wit, that kid. He's got the quiet... Um, the qu- the quiet sort of stillness of a man who could kill a man. Yeah, I th- he'd be one. I think if you did heckle him, he'd be the kind of person who, in four words, would make you feel about two inches tall. Like yeah, he'd, there'd be no fat on the bone. It'd just no. be, boom, shut yeah. the fuck up. There's a, there's an air of precision about it. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, if you'd love to see me come get owned by uh, <laughs> <laughs> by Saran and uh, enjoy Maddie's set, I'll be there. One of the Sundays in November but get along to that Maddie B thank you very much for coming back I'll have you on because there's heaps more to cover um, so I'll have you back at some stage but thanks very much for coming in sounds good to me mate thanks for having me no worries bye